Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus. He is the Son of God, the firstborn of the new creation. God's Word made flesh among us. Today as we look heavenward, our gaze and in our hearts, may we also look down and bow before His greatness and majesty. David talked about the excellent name of God and wondered at his own lowliness as he contemplated his place in the grand story of history. So hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 8 as God calls us to worship. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. Everybody say it with me today. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your name indeed is excellent. Lord, you said that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today we come into your presence Longing to hear from you, longing for you to feed us, knowing that you will send us food from heaven, that you will speak to us, Lord. We pray today that you would fill us and change us and forgive us, O Lord. And we ask all of these things in your precious name. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. standing as I read to you my text today for my sermon from sun, as in the sun in the sky, to rising sun, as in the Son of God. My text is from Psalm 19. I'm going to preach on the whole psalm, but I'm just going to read seven verses of it to start, and it's going to be the first seven verses. So Psalm 19, verses 1 through 7. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit to the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Let us pray. 
Lord, I pray at this time today, Lord, that you would speak to your people. Lord, they would hear your voice, that your Holy Spirit would minister to them. And Lord, if they hear a message different than the one coming out of my mouth and they hear it in their hearts, Lord, that's just fine with me. Lord, that's what I want them to do. I want them to hear it from you today. I pray, dear God, that from Psalm 19, we would hear you speak to our hearts and how we indeed might be conformed to your image. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 19 is yet another of the 75 Psalms of David in the Psalter, and it is one of the most heavily quoted Psalms today by Christians and by me. You might notice I quote this all the time. I memorized this chapter in the mid-1980s, and it's been a treasure for me for these many years. Those of you taking time to memorize the Word of God at this young age in your life, you'll find that it is a treasure for you when you get older. Because there's something different about the young mind. When you remember something, it stays in your mind. The old mind, oftentimes things don't hang around so easily. Now, and as uh, for me and for many others, it's one of the most lovely poems, though, written. I think when we look at the Word of God and we take it out of the context of what it is, I think we really, really, really miss what it was. Folks, this was a song. How many of you like songs? Right? I love them. I love songs. I, I like songs better than poems. And, but most, most songs are poetry, right? At the same time. So I wish somehow we could know what the music was that was made for this great poetical work here that David wrote. The work of art rivals any of the works of the great masters. I believe that if we could really hear it in the original language and we could hear the music that was put to it, I guarantee you it was a masterpiece. Now, in a clinical sense, the psalm is a two-part argument. And I think it's funny, especially even in the psalms, when we look at them and we... Could you imagine someone taking a song you wrote, you know, like we have these little silly songs we write at our house, you know. I have a song called, I've got... I got some kids, and the real good kids got a real good dad, and his name is Dad. See, see my kids, I know the song. And uh, imagine if someone later on in my life was saying, now let's break this down to the real meaning of this song. Well, there's a real meaning to the song, and I'm reveling in the fact that I love my kids, and my kids love me. Okay, that's, that's, that's really it. And so my little silly song, I've got some kids, and the real good kids got a real good dad, and his name is... Dad, he's a really, really good dad. And the dad loves the mom, and the mom loves the dad. And I sing these little, do you, does anyone else sing silly songs in your house that you make up? But they're songs we sing, and the songs are meant to be kind of that. It's light, it's airy, it's fun. And, and my little kids, I'll go down the road, and Liam's still young enough not to get the fact that I'm wanting him to recognize the greatness of his dad, you know. And, and, and we'll be in the car, and I'm driving down the road. I was taking him somewhere earlier this week, and he... You know, just casually, I sing the song, and he goes, Dad, you know, and he says it, because he knows that's the right thing. But I think we miss the fact that this is a song. I think we miss all of the psalms oftentimes when we read them like this, or when we say, the, in the clinical sense, the psalm is a two-part argument for the glorious God of heaven and the value and the pleasures of knowing him. Yeah, it's that, okay? But it's a song about that, you know? And a song about that is different than just a clinical argument. Now the first argument is that the beauty and the majesty of the created order, specifically the heavenly bodies of space, testify of the goodness of God and of all men everywhere. And the second is that the perfection of his revealed word called the law, everybody say the law, delivered through Moses to the children of Israel, and an even, is even more glorious than all the beautiful things that God has made, okay? So as true as this meaning is, as I said in a clinical sense, I doubt David ever hoped people would dissect his words in this way. I think he just wanted to sing them. One of the things that I've been doing uh, recently as I uh, work on the Psalms is I listen to music. 
And sometimes the very best music is music that doesn't have words because I'm dealing with words on the page. And, and what, I, what I like to hear is I like to hear some music that sort of, I, I try to find music that to me is the kind of music that might have been, or even if it wouldn't have been for them, it might be for us now. If we were writing a song that said something like, the heavens declare the glory of God, what might music might we read? Some of the kids were saying, no, dad, you, you know, I was trying, we had a little discussion at our table, not this kind of music, dad, it needs to be that kind of music. I said, you know what? I can't sing the Star Wars theme. I just can't do it. I don't, I don't, I don't know any words to that. I, I can't find a place to jump in, but bum, 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 you know, kind of a thing. But that's space music, because what's the song? It's about the heavens declare the glory of God. So in the poetical sense, the more intended sense, we can see the broad brush strokes of David in vivid, rich colors and the taste and the feel of honey on our tongues and the, and the gum of the honeycomb between our teeth. That's one of the reasons I love country music. I love country music because it captures for us not only words, but the feelings that go with the words and they're and it's done in such a way that I'm I'm right there in the middle now now I don't think country music maybe is the the, the music for this song but I but I love music that is very much so attached and makes sense with and accentuates the meaning so we're gonna go through this a little bit here Psalm 19 of course to the chief musician reminds us what is it it's a it's a song to be sung. And not just a song to be sung, but one to be sung in worship. And, you know, a lot of the worship music I've been listening to as I've been uh, working on these psalms is different than the music that we, we sing in this church. Uh, but it, it is, it's beautiful. And, and uh, I'm praying that somehow we can figure out how to do some of this music. But, you know, as I began to read Psalm 19 and sort of see it like this, sort of see it as this poetry, this beautiful song, I did start to hear, Andy, I did start to hear actual music. It was amazing. Now, I don't write music or anything, but, but I do have a repertoire of many, many songs I've heard in my life and many things. And I could hear a song that the music was written by a man named Richard Rogers. Most of you probably wouldn't know who it was unless I said his name with his partner, Hammerstein, uh, Hammerstein, Rogers and Hammerstein, Hammerstein, how, how do you say it? Hammerstein, Hammerstein. But I can kind of hear this music in my head. I don't know, do you, are, do you guys know any music that he wrote that might be kind of, you almost feel this coming, you know, like I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, uh, Jonathan, I see this amused look on your face, you know? So, so we got Richard Rogers, he wrote this music and it, and it starts off and there's like birds chirping and all, oh, Corinne's with me, Corinne's with me, right? I can hear it in my mind and instead of uh, Julie, instead of, instead of David, I hear Julie Andrews, because I've never met David, okay? And I've never, I've never seen him, okay? But I have seen Julie Andrews, and I can see her standing on the top of an Austrian mountain with her arms extended in worshipful ecstasy, right? Can you hear it? And the song, it's the only song I know that starts with a crescendo, right? Have you guys, have you, you've heard this song? You guys know where I'm going here? The heavens declare God in all his glory. The firmament below shows his handiwork. We hear the words that declare his glory. Day after day, night after night, they sing, right? Come on, you know, it's kind of like that for me. Now, you might just go now, Pastor Mark. Well, you know what? One day you can get your own church and you can stand up front <laughs> and do what you want. But I'm telling you, David wrote the psalm for us literally to be there with our, with, our, with our arms wide open, looking up at the heavens and seeing the glory of it all and saying, the heavens declare God in all his glory. It's something like that. It wasn't just like, let's look at this and see the hermeneutical, homiletical, poetical, symmetrical. It, it's not that. It's not that. So can you picture, this was no doubt David's hope. His focus was not, of course, on the hills of Austria, but his heart 
was pouring forth the same kind of joy in God's creation. I was telling my children, it could have, he could have just as easily said, the hills are alive with the sound of music. Because the song of our heart, when we look and we see the beauty of creation, have you ever been on an Austrian mountain? I have. Have you ever been somewhere where it's just so beautiful that you just kind of want to? I remember I was in a place with my wife, and she will testify to it. It was so beautiful that I stopped. You know what I did, Stephen? I just went like this. And I went, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Why, why did I do it? Because I, I was just, because that's how I feel when I see the glorious things of God. David points our gaze upward to the heavens. He wants us to go with him to the hills of Judea where it's very, very dark, where there's no ambient light from a city nearby. He wants us to swim with him through the Milky Way, which is a comet blazes slowly across the expanse of space and watch the moon keeping time until, yes, until the true star of heaven expels them all by his presence and takes the stage. Now, if you miss this, he's talking about the heavens, but he gets to the sun. And the sun does something, Steve. I mean, you can look at the Milky Way and you can see a comet. You can see a little planet, you know, glowing warmly, the orange glow of Mars. You can see Venus rising on the horizon with this little thing of light. And that's all pretty and everything, right? Until what? Until the star, literally the star, takes the stage. And when he comes around the earth, all the darkness and blackness that is there, Luke, disappears as he goes, boom, look at me. All the blackness of space is gone and nearly every star disappears from view. And as he climbs higher and brighter in the sky and he begins to shine, all of the world looks at him and feels his heat and feels the power and sees his life-giving light issuing forth and nothing is hid from his heat. Amen? That's what David's doing for us here. All eyes on him as he lights the world and wakes it each morning. All life comes from him. Nothing can hide from his power and light as he sings his song of God. Because that's what David is saying. That the son is singing a song about God. One of the things I like about uh, C.S. Lewis when he wrote his book and he's talking about creation, Aslan is doing what? Is he talking as he's, he's singing? Aslan is singing. Not merely a lamp at our feet, the sun. No, it's not a lamp at our feet at the darkness, but he is one who banishes all of the night. From 93 million miles away, his light cannot be looked into fully without burning out your eyes. Who does that remind you of? What do the angels have to do even? Angels who are not even mortals like us, they take and they take their wings and they wrap around their face because they can't even look at him. Can you look at the sun? How many of you can watch it rise in, in no cloud cover and just watch it all day? What would happen to you? You'd never see again. You'd never see again. And it's doing that, Steve, from 93 million miles away. And this is not the millions that the scientists talk about we don't believe. They're right about that. 93 million, not years. No, 93 million miles away. The sun. He's powerful. He's lovely. He warms us. He illuminates our way. And he is to be feared. He, the Son, our celestial keeper, sings of the God of heaven. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Both the heavens and the earth and all that God has made speak of the one who made it. And this song never stops playing. It is free from all who love, all who live and breathe. We have a little, we put these little bird feeders outside our windows. We have a window in our living room, and, and we, we invest. There's an actual investment, I believe, in this, in these things. And the most beautiful birds ever come on this little feeder right outside our window. And we sit there, and you look out, and you will see the most gorgeous little 
beautiful little birds and I don't know, maybe we have dead trees. We got woodpeckers and we got whatever. We got like a whole thing going on out there. And I can tell you, when I see one of those things, it just makes me think of my father in heaven. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night it shows knowledge. This song evangelizes every man, woman, and child with the knowledge that we are not alone. That we are not the product of random chance. That the great and mighty power beyond our comprehension has designed us in our world and has fit us together in a terrestrial chorus of orderly and planned perfection. That's what God has done. When you look at the plumage of a bluebird, you go, There's, I'd love to have an evolutionist explain to me what that's all about. You know, we have a picture, and I, I mentioned it before, you know, maybe apparently I spend too much time in our bathroom. But we have a picture of this bluebird, and uh, it was made by Audubon, and he painted every intricate detail of its plumage. And I've found them before, and I've held these little birds up, and I've looked at them, and I think to myself, only, only God could do something like this. There's no benefit to some evolutionary nonsense for this beauty. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. This song which can and will be heard as long as heaven and earth endure is truly magnificent in that it transcends language. It communicates this knowledge to all people among the thousands of languages that came into the world when the Tower of Babel was being built and God had to bring man down in his pride. God still has a language that he speaks that every man can hear. And the Bible says it's the language that is spoken day and night by the sun, by the stars, by the planets, by the moon, by the Milky Way itself. I've heard it. Some of you that have been to Myanmar with us have seen it like no one else probably has seen it. I've never, I would never imagine the sky could look like that. I'm telling you, where's Rebecca? Has it got to be one of the best things you've ever seen? You stand out there in the mountains, and I mean, it's not like there's a, 600 miles away, there's a city. Sarah's smiling. You saw it, right? You look up at there, and you're like, I never knew all this was here. Look at this. This is incredible. And I'm thinking, how can I ever go to sleep? Like, this is going to be here all night. And you look at it, you know, and you're just like, it's here every night. This is amazing. If man's plans to build a world in his own image were spoiled by the division of language, still God speaks in a way everyone can understand. The heavens declare God in all of his glory. The firmament below shows his handiwork. We hear the words that declare God's glory day after day, night after night, they sing. Come on, I'm telling you, you're, you're, you're thinking of the same music I am. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Everything that God has made has order and perfection and purpose like the God who made them. The North Star stays in the north like God himself who changes not. All the heavens swirl in orderly perfection around him and the lines that are set for them by God. You see, even the ancients could notice. They're like, you know, that, that thing is always where it's supposed to be. And everything else. Have you guys have ever seen those time-lapse pictures of the world, of the, of the stars moving? Of course, they're not moving. We're moving. All the heavens swirl in orderly perfection around them and the lines that God made so much with great precision. If you study them like Galileo, Copernicus, and Newton, they will guide you as you navigate the oceans or travel around the earth. And you'll even know what to expect in the sky if you've studied it. You'll know where everything is supposed to be. And it's in a course set by God. They can predict it. They can say in 50 years, they will tell you where the moon will be and how much of it you will see. They will say in the year 2045, the moon will be right over there. And you will be able to see one half of it or one eighth of it or the whole thing, right? Because God has a set. To perfection. The moon who keeps a perfect cycle will help you know how to measure time and will always do as he has been commanded by God. He always, like you should, obeys the one who made him. We are learning in the sky that we are to obey and that we have been given 
a job to do. But all of the stars, the moon, and the planets, there is one among them who eclipses their glory. He, the sun, is the source of life, giving light and life more than anything else. God here has given even the heathen who do not have God's word a picture of one who will come among us. Not the sun, not Ra, right? They worship the sun god, Ra. Not him, but the son of God. One above all others, the only life-giving and governing of all things in our world. It is so much greater than all the other created things, and without them there would be no life. Even the moon, who seems great in the sky above us, would stand dark, cold, and lifeless without the sun's light and heat. His light shines even when the sun is out of our view to remind us that the sun never goes out. From rising sun to the rising Son of God, He has shown all living things His glory and spoken of Himself to all men. Verse 4, in them he has set a tabernacle for the son, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit to the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. From rising sun to the rising son of God, he has given himself a witness in the world, but to a chosen people, he has something brighter still than the sun that shines upon our faces still more magnificent than these beautiful, magnificent things He has given us to look at in the heavens. Those things are glorious indeed, but there are some things even better than that. God gives what Luke was teaching in his study over at the Mount Sterling Community Center. Recently, he was teaching about general revelation. It's something that everybody has, but there's something that God's people have that no one has. We know that God came more than just to His chosen people and eventually would come and save the whole world. He did not merely give a pointing finger to His glory or an idea that He gave the heathen, but He made Himself seen much clearer to the children of Israel through the Word of God itself. To them He spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and gave them the law, and He spoke to them through prophets and by miracles and stories of his faithfulness to his friends. God's voice came into the ears of men. He had friendships with them. He dis disciplined them like a father and he delivered them from their enemies and established them as a holy nation. Through this great story told in God's word, we find yet a better song, a song better than the sun sings. Better than the stars when they sparkle. Better than the Milky Way. Better than the moon. We have the Word of God itself. This is what David is telling us. If standing on a high mountain looking down on the earth, you've caught a glimpse of the greatness of God, or looking up at the heavenly host, pulsing with light in the darkness of a remote mountain village like I have, or even stood on a moonless light anywhere here, do you, know the, the, do you know the aurora borealis can be seen? You guys, Laura, you forwarded this or posted this. If you can get in the dark place, they say you can see the northern lights tonight. Kind of interesting to me that you could, but... He said, compared though to all of that, God's Word, all of those things are merely a shadow of the actual song, but His Word is the, is the song, the best song ever. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. When I was a kid and I memorized this, it sounded like David was waxing poetic and then he jumped, he just quit. You know, the heavens declare and the, the sun is a bridegroom and I'm, I'm reading all of this and, and then it's like, the law of the Lord is perfect. Because I was missing what David was saying. He's saying, oh, all of that's beautiful, but let me tell you what's more beautiful than all of that. It's the law of the Lord. It's perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now when he says the law of God, he means all of God's revealed word, not just the part that lays out the commandments. The word of God given to the children of Israel was complete. When he said the law of the Lord is perfect, he means that it is entire. It is complete. The word that he gave to them uh, lacked nothing as far as a written document in it God has shown us everything it is perfect complete to take our rebellious hearts and to show us where we are bent and where we need God's redeeming power this is why we should love it and look to it daily 
as if in a mirror so we can see how we should seek the face of God to change us. How many of you, when you read the Word of God, do you, do you stop and you say, I think I need to change? Anybody, has that ever happened to any of you? You read the Bible and you're reading and you're like, that's not me. That's not my heart. I'm, I, I, I'm lacking. Kind of like, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. You ever, has that ever happened to you in your heart? It takes all of us fools and sinners that we are who think we know better than the Father of Heaven and by His Word, He does make us wise. Here in the next few verses, David breaks down the whole of the law and departs. Statutes, commandments, testimonies, judgments, fear. Without doing a full-blown study on all of these things, suffice it to say that David is showing us the beauty and perfection of God's law to show us Himself in many dimensions. If I had a whiteboard and, you know, and if I could draw, that those would be the two things. <laughs> I guess if I had a whiteboard and Luke was up here, uh, or Amy were up here, and, and they were drawing for me, then you could see, right? I could show you how an object looks in one dimension, right? You guys know what this looks like. We did this before in our Bible study. This is what the Word of God is. It's multi-dimensioned. So we see the one dimension, you know, I draw the shape of an apple and you see this shape. Some of you that have Mac computers, if I had one, I could show you, right? And it looks, everyone knows what that shape is, but that's not really an apple, right? That's just one dimension of it. It's when a little depth is added and a shadow is added and perspective is added and maybe some other object on the page. Then you begin to really understand. Sometimes when I take a picture of something, Jonathan, even my phone only shows so much of it. And so I have to take my hand and put by it or I'll have a person stand by it. Why do you do that? Because you want someone to know. Like, there's this thing, it's so neat. Or this tree I've got to cut down. Someone takes a picture. I'm like, I don't know if the tree's that big or that big. Could you put somebody by it, you know? And sometimes, of course, they trick you, right? They hold a fish really, really, really close to the camera and they stand back. And it looks like the fish is giant, right? But the fish is this big, but it's real close to the camera, right? But the Word of God, that's what the Word of God does. It gives us perspective. And it gives us perspective in the testimonies. It gives us perspectives in the judgments. I was explaining this at our, our dinner table as we were preparing uh, to enter into the Sabbath. And I'm like, you know, if I told you something that Jonathan said, you would know something about him. But then if I told you something Jonathan did, you would know more about him. Then if I told you how he judged a situation that Nathaniel did, it would also tell you what? More about, more about him. You learn a lot about people by what they do, how they judge others, how they interact with others, right? And so in the law of God, we not only see the commandments that you should do this or you shouldn't do that, but we see what God did. Kind of like we're saying, you know, there's an argument today that you know, that we should, we should always tell the perfect truth. Well, that's not exactly what the Bible says. It says we should not bear false witness. That's different than always tell the perfect truth. Telling the perfect truth might be coming in and say, do you know you're really ugly and your mama dressed you funny today? I don't think that would be pleasing to the Lord, right? God's not telling us. So there's more to it than just something simple like a rule. The Bible says that you cannot obey the laws of God unless you obey them while loving your brother and your sister. So that means there's a little more to it than just rules, right? God's Word does this, and we can see Him in many dimensions through His Word. He rules. His rules, the Ten Commandments and more, give us an idea about Him. Stories, how He has dealt with His people, another. Judgments that God has made. Testimonies of His stories, His interactions with mankind tells us even more and this is what David is telling us he's saying you may not be able to see God's face but you can see him so much clearer through his word you may be able to stand and look at the grand expanse of space and hear God speaking but if you really want to hear God's voice open up the scriptures and begin to read about him seeing him and beholding him like the sun that comes after a long difficult night his shining, what does it do? It brings us joy. And that's what seeing God does. It lifts our hearts. Has beauty ever made you cry for joy? 
You might not be made up that way. Have you looked at the face of your newborn baby after nearly dying, bringing him into the world? And just his little face, his little fat cheeks, the glory of that. Shining on you brought wellspring of joy from your heart. One you could not contain, but it came out in tears. The goodness, the righteousness, and the perfection of God's word and his beauty are like this. Verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. He said in this past verse that I read, that it converts the soul, it makes wise the simple, and here we see that it rejoices the heart, and the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You know, we learn in the Word of God that people miss so many things because they're blind but God gives us new eyes why why don't they believe the scripture says well they don't have ears to hear and they don't have what they don't have eyes to see but the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes it like the Sun gives us light in the darkness of our hearts foolishness it's not temporary like the experiences we have with others even the joy of our newborn children the Bible says it endures how long it endures forever the fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether the proper fear of the Lord is purifying knowing that he is watching that he is real that his ways are best should make us want to be like him as it says Peter says we should be holy because who is holy because he is holy we talk about this a lot at the Robinette's house we want to be holy not so we can impress God but we want to be holy because he's holy and we're gonna live holy lives in heaven so why don't we just start right now verse 10 tells us that they're more to be desired than gold yea than much fine gold and that they're sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. There's a great value. There's a great price. There's a great preciousness. A great reward in them. Just in the very value of them. But not just in the value alone. It's in the pleasure of them. Because he mentions something valuable. Something super expensive. But he also mentions something very pleasurable. Could you imagine living in a time now. Some of you. How many of you have a sweet tooth? Come on. I know it's not a biblical term. Sweet tooth is not in the Bible anywhere I can see. But it might be right here in the psalm. You eat some salty bacon, and you got to have something sweet, right? Imagine living in a world where that wasn't, there really wasn't sugar cane, there really wasn't that kind of thing. To find honey, and the Bible talks about this. So when you find honey, be careful. Only eat as much as you should, because if not, you'll get sick. Like, like people, they're like, wow, look what I found, this incredible thing. And he's describing the Word of God like this. Not only is it valuable, but it's precious. It's tasty. It's wonderful. What does the Bible say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. The righteous life is a way better life. And it has taken me a long time to learn this. I, You know what? And, I, and, and maybe we'll get to it here in just a minute, but... There's something about our foolishness in our flesh that makes us think that God is trying to keep us from something good when what we, the truth is is that God is trying to take us to something so much better. We will satisfy ourselves with these dumb things. And God is like, oh, I have so much more. Please, just, 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 I've got this for you. That's what God's Word does. It leads us to that. Temporary pleasures or things that seem to gratify us instantly and quickly that seem to be something that we really enjoy. God says, I have something that's so much better. People who are tempted to all manners of sin, what comes with that? This is what I've learned, Jason. You know what comes with it? A cloud. Way worse than the one in the Charlie Brown thing, you know, where the cloud follows around that guy. What's his name? You know? That's literally what happens to me when I sin. That cloud follows me around. 
And you know what? I don't like it. How many, I hate that. And I have found that when you do right, when you do right by others, when you do right according to God's word, there's a cloud that follows you all right, but it's the one that blocks the sun from burning your flesh. And there's, a, there's, there's something that follows you around, and it's a pillar of fire by night to keep you warm. That's what living right does. God wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to enjoy each other. It's way better than what we would do. If it were up to us, we'd do whatever we wanted, and we would end up being miserable like little children are when we let them stay up as late as they want and eat whatever they want and do whatever they want. God's Word brings us to true and lasting and more enjoyable pleasures. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is what? There is great reward. Keeping God's Word is safe. Disobeying God's Word is very dangerous. God loves us and His Word directs us and protects us. It keeps us from falling into the pits of the world or needing to be corrected by God Himself. Not only does He keep us from certain harm, following God is great reward. God's people have always enjoyed these blessings. God's love for us is to give us His Word so that we can see others. We can see things what others are blind to seeing. He shows us the safe paths, the walk on, the ones that lead to good things for those who obey Him. And when we fail to understand this, we miss the value of His Word. And we are robbed of its sweetness. God's Word is like the breadcrumbs left by Hansel and Gretel. But unlike theirs, ours remain. And they lead us home. We need God's Word to understand it. To help us flee from a life of sin to a life of holiness. Sin is very deceptive. You'll see what David says next. Sin is deceptive. It can masquerade like the devil does as an angel of light. In our own efforts at righteousness, we stray from the paths of God. For there is always a way that seems right to us, right? How many of you, when you've done wrong, you don't even know it half the time? And, and, and I'm telling you, I know this because I'm your pastor. I've watched you walk in sin and darkness and hurt yourself and you don't even know it. When I try to talk to you about it, you try to give me a good reason. And Heath, we see this with our kids. So why did you whack him on the head? This happened in our house like the last three days, like the same exact thing. And they go, well, I did it because whatever, right? Because he did whatever. And I go, all right, tell me the five different reasons I tell you. Tell me the five different occasions in your life that it's okay to hit your brother in the head. Have you ever done this, Heath? If not, you can take this from my playbook. <laughs> and they stand there and they look at me and I'm like, I just, just tell me the five times it's okay to hit your brother in the head. And they're like, well, there isn't any, Dad. I'm like, ah. So when I ask you why you hit him in the head, you said you hit him in the head because blah, blah, blah. This is what we do. There's a way that seems right. Well I, well, I didn't come and talk to you because, you know, I didn't think you were going to listen. Or, or I didn't think you liked me. Or I, 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 we make excuses to not do what God's Word says. This is the only productive way to soul search, folks. is to read the Bible. We are saved by God's grace alone. It's true. But part of His saving us from things is that he saves us to them and by the power of his holy spirit god uses his word to understand our sins and to cleanse us from our secret faults our hidden sources of sin in our lives it's a wonderful thing that david is seeking and singing about he's singing about something i mean the sun can you know give you light you know so that you can get a splinter out of your finger that's that's good the sun is great as it is, you know, it, it gives all the plants life and it'll help you get a splinter out. But the, but the light of God's word can help you get something out of you that's so destructive that it will completely destroy your life. It shines like a beacon in our life and gives us light to understand what needs to be purged from us. God offers us a life of holiness that works in this way from the inside out. God is cleansing us within our hearts and from the stains of our sins. They will come out in our words as well as our works. God is saving us, spirit, soul, and body. See how David says it. He says, who can understand his errors? 
David's under, David knows he doesn't understand his errors. Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Some of you might go, well, you know, I didn't know it was wrong. How many, come on, how many of you said this? You're, I didn't know that was wrong. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. You ever said it to a policeman? I didn't know the speed limit was 35 here, right? Well, you were still going 45. You were still going 60. You might not have known it, but it was against the law. You broke the law. The law is like the policeman. It lets you know you, you've broken the law. Now, you might go, well, that policeman's nasty. He should leave me alone. No, the policeman is there to enforce the law. He didn't write the law. And that's what sin is. Sin is violation of the law. But not just the state of Ohio's law, God's law. The sins we commit, we don't even know about. I had uh, Brother Andy read first from Romans chapter 7. Were you listening to that? And there's no way I can do a Bible study on Romans chapter 7 right now, but I'm telling you, I was reading it and rereading it, and I'm going, what on earth is he talking about? This is very, very interesting to me. And it really has a lot to do with this church. And before I get into it, I'll tell you what. I've been very shocked at the, at the, at the young children and some of the adults in this church. I mean, we live different than the rest of the world. Our kids aren't out there, you know, in a you know, graffiti-painted world. You know, and I could get into all of what you could be doing out there, being in all their schools and being with all this people. You're not like that. And in my mind, Laura, I'm, I'm like, so what in the world? So they go to church every week and they have good godly friends and they, and they don't go out there. What in the world? Because my brain... Scarred by sin is too stupid to tell me what I know God's Word says all the time. The source of sin is not the public school. The source of sin is not the internet. The source of sin is not the magazine rack down at the, the gas station down there. The source of sin is right in here. It's you. And so here it is. And I, 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 I'm reading this and I'm trying to understand what is wrong with these people. What is wrong with the children? What is wrong with the people of our church? I mean, we've done all these good things. To why, why in the world are they so wretched? And you might go, what are you talking about? Oh, if you really want to know, come and ask me. I'll tell you. We have some wretched children in this church. Some self-centered children who act like blind, godless heathens. And you go, what in the... I can't even believe you just said that. We better not post this online. And this was bothering me. Because I was, because I'm thinking wrong. I, I, I've been pastoring for 30 some years of my life and I still get to thinking, if we, if we keep away from them, it's not true. The source of sin is in you. And, and this is what he's talking about in Romans chapter 7. He said, I had not known sin but by the law. And this is what David is talking about. He's saying the law has helped me to know sin. Because I, if I didn't have it, I wouldn't even know about it. For I had not known lust except the law had said thou art not covet. And I'll tell you, this is a giant study, but it's incredible. Do you know that the, the penal code of the state of Ohio takes into account the sins of the heart. How many, how many of you know this? Do you know that the state of Ohio, Jason, know they, they base their law on the Word of God, and it's in there. Do you know that you do more time and get in more trouble based on what's in your heart? Did you, did you ever think about this? And you go, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what revised code mentions your heart. Oh, it does. Do you know there are, you do more time in jail if you meant to kill somebody? If you wanted to kill them and you planned to kill them. Isn't that amazing that in the law that's written by people in the state of Ohio, that they look here at what, what Paul's talking about and what David's talking about too. Paul is saying covetousness. Now, who in the world could be convicted of covetousness unless you were your witness against yourself? I can tell what's in there, Timbo. Tim's like, I ain't telling you. I mean, if your wife can't be a witness against you, certainly you, can't, you don't have to be a witness against yourself. I plead the fifth. I'm like, oh, I know lurking in that mind somewhere. You're sinning like a wild banshee, and you're just going, yeah, but you don't know it. And it's true. Nobody knows it. Nobody knows it unless you tell it, and nobody knows it but God, but he does. And do you know God judges us 
according to what's going on in here. Oh, but what do we do about that? How do we keep that away, Benita? What, what school don't we go to and what movie don't we watch to police what's happening in there? Uh, David's praying. He's like, the law is making what's in my heart evident to me of my own sin. No one can lock me up for this unless I tell on myself because nobody knows I'm even doing it. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans 7. He's saying, do you understand what's going on? That there is something going on inside of me that nobody can see that is as wretched as anything that I would ever do with my hands. And he knows it. And the law of God brings this out. And I'm telling you, if you want to know, if you want hope, and you might go, now, Pastor Mark, I can't believe you. I'm telling you, you read Romans 7, you'll know why there are a bunch of kids who act like heathens in this church. Because you have not died. That's the deal. Now, you might be God's chosen, and God may be regenerating you, and he may be saving you. But I'm telling you what, only when you die do you get freed from this. And that's what Paul says. You, you Remember when Brother Andy read it? Brother Andy read it first, and he said, a woman, as long as her husband is alive, she's bound to him. Right? But when he does what? When he dies, she's not. And he says, you were married to the law. And the neat thing is, the, the, the law didn't die. Who did? Who has to die? Is the law ever going to die? No, no, no. The law isn't going to die. The law is perfect. And that's what Paul's argument is in Romans chapter 7. You might not like it when you read it, when you teach it to your children. You're going to excite sinfulness in them by them hearing the word of God. When unregenerated people hear the word of God, you know what it does to them, Benita? It makes them more sinful. Oh, we don't want that. Oh, well, yeah, we do. Because when a man comes to understand that he is a sinner and that he needs a Savior, there's only one of those. And in order for him to be saved from sin, Jason, you know what he has to do? He's got to die. Because the power of sin is the law. So the only way, so just think about it this way. Every person that is born is married to the law. You're married to it. That's what it says in Romans chapter 7. And only when one of these people die, and it isn't going to be the law. The law is not going to die. Only when you die. And, that's, and when we die, and this people who argue about the law not being pertinent to us, folks, we do live again and we're married to Christ. And people see this and they go, you see, this means I don't have to obey the law. Oh, no. Well, you don't have to obey that law. The law that you're going to obey is all of the law and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Because when you're married to Jesus, Jesus does not disobey the law, right? Not one little tiny bit of it. And he doesn't want you to disobey any of it either. So the, now you're married to Jesus. That's what this is about. It's incredible. I know it's, it would take me forever to, to work all through here. The sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. And if we went through the whole thing, it'd be like, now wait a minute. If, if, if sin was dead and the law... No, he's explaining that because there... Be, like when in, in Eden, because there was a law, there was a law that said don't eat from that tree. Because there was a law, sin had something it could do. It could violate this command. And that's what happened. So the law isn't bad. God making the rule not to eat of the tree wasn't bad. But it is the reason why they fell. Because they had a rule that could be broken and they broke it. The law is like that. It's good. And he goes and he explains the goodness of the law. We should love the law, but we need to know. Steve, when you're teaching your children the law, if they haven't died, if God hasn't, uh, as, as Paul said, he said, what happened? It killed me. Serving God, you've got to come to a place of repentance and death to have Christ as your husband. That's why Paul talks about it daily. It's a struggle because he, he's warring with this constant war. He dies daily. Why? Because every day there's this other thing going on inside of me that wants to obtain by my own righteousness, that wants to achieve these things. But I need to understand that I could never, ever do that. And that's what happens. That's why in a church of super righteous people, you have super righteous looking people, thinking people, believing they are, you have the most wretched things happen. Because the law itself excites it. We can't, there's no way in the world I can go through all that. Read Romans chapter 7 with your family. 
and get Calvin's commentary and read it because Calvin explains it very, very well. It's about 20 pages of really interesting stuff. Anyway, he says in verse 13, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. What are presumptuous sins? The ones everybody can see. Lord, I don't want to, you know, David, who had done plenty of things everybody could see, he committed adultery, he had a man murdered, he did some really bad things. He's like, keep me from those. But that's not all David wanted to be kept from, Tim. He didn't just want to be kept from the things that he did. He said, he said let them not have dominion over me. If you want to read about sin having dominion over you, read Romans chapter 6. The Bible says God has freed us from these things, but when we yield ourselves willingly to them, we imprison ourselves again. Let them not have dominion over me. Folks, I'm telling you right now, the New Testament says, as a Christian believer, sin shall not have dominion over you. You, you go and lock yourself up every time you sin. You go and just do it to yourself. You don't have to do that. You're free from it. But he said, keep back thy servant for presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. David's final prayer in the last verse here, his, the last bit of his prayer is not a prayer of let me look good. Let me not do everything people can see. Let me be righteous in the end. But what he says is he said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You see, what David is saying is, I'm not trying to just look good. Lord, I want you to change me at my very core. And the sun that shines in the sky can't shine down into my heart. But the Son of Heaven, Christ Jesus, the bright light to which He will come, the book of Revelation says, and when He does, there'll be no more need for the sun. Right? He shines upon us and He shines even into the dark parts of our heart. And all the sins and all the difficulties, He shines a light upon them. Folks, love the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Hide it in your heart. Look for the face of God within the pages of Scripture. And know that what God is doing in your life, if you find that you, your brothers or your sisters or those, are more excited to sin because of them, that's not really, shouldn't be that surprising. It's what it's going to do. But what it should do is cause you to, to pray for your children. Not too long ago, some of you came forward and said you wanted God to give you a new heart. Folks, we need to be encouraging our children to get on their knees before the Lord and say, God, do in me what I cannot do. Right? Andy read it for us. The thing I want to do, I can't do. The thing I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I know. And, and particularly, mainly because you girls are so vocal. I don't know. You boys, you probably have your own sins. But the devil wants these young girls of our church to fight with each other and hurt each other and be self-centered and to be thinking about themselves and hurting each other. And I'm telling you, it's an ugly thing. Ask God to change our hearts, to help us to love each other, to be kind to each other. As it says in Ephesians, to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. This is what God's Word wants us to do. He doesn't just want us to look like Christians outwardly, because the Pharisees could do that. But what did Jesus say about them, Luke? He said, on the outside you look a certain way, but inside you're filled with dead men's bones. Here you are and you look the part, but you're not the real deal. And he said, by the power of his Holy Spirit, through God's word, he can change not just our, not just our words, not just our actions, not those things that people see, but he can even change our heart. How many of you want God to change your heart? I do. I want him to change my heart. I want God to renew in me a right spirit, to create in me a clean heart. Amen? And only by the power of his word, the Son is great. But the Son of Heaven can do what the sun and the sky could never do. From the sun, we see Him. But it's the rising sun who rises in our hearts. That's what illuminates the sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that You touch us. Lord, that we would indeed see that the law of the Lord is perfect. It's complete that we would love your word, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us was you. 
Lord, we would love it because we can't walk and, and talk with you in the garden like Adam and Eve did. But as we read your word, you speak to us. You speak in the sound of your voice. Oh, Lord, it's so sweet, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Lord, it's more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Speak to our hearts, Lord. As David prayed, cleanse thou me from secret faults. Let them not have dominion over me. Lord, deliver me from presumptuous sins. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, my strength and my Redeemer. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.